0: Good, we're on. Good morning. Morning, <laughs> morning Wendy. <laughs> thank you for leading us, Wendy, this morning and for that beautiful worship. Just stay in that, that place forever. And thank you for that beautiful communion message. Just I really feel the presence of the Lord this morning and what he wants to do here is break some heavy yokes off. So we'll start in prayer. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for what you came to do. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for going forth and opening every eye and heart and ear today. Thank you, Lord, for what you want to do in this place. You want to break off heavy yokes and chains. And you want to bring freedom and healing to all of us here today. And I pray that your will be done. In Jesus' name. Amen. So last time I I spoke, we were in in the pasture with the Good Shepherd. And I believe what the Lord was saying, that the birthing place of humility is the surrender. It's the surrender and laying down of our life. And then it's that dependence on on him to lead us through everything we go through in life. And so what I want to talk about today, I think, is an extension of that humility. And it's a place where God does a beautiful work in us. It's not always something we want to do, but... um, So I think we've got to put our seatbelts on for today because we're being led to a place that we don't often like to be in and that's the wilderness or as Psalm 23 says it, it's the valley of the shadow of death, a place that is truly humbling and it's not something I originally jumped at the chance to speak on when I felt the Lord saying it's time to share it. I knew for over a year that I'd have to share it at some point but I wrestled with it. I said really Lord is now the time? But I thought, no, Lord, you're right. It's probably a place we don't speak about enough. And I know when I was in it, all I was grasping for was someone to tell me what, what's happening to me um, and what the Lord is doing through it. And so I thought, no, Lord, you're right. It's probably best to do it now before the holiday season so I can bring you all low and then Brent and the Nan can raise you back up just in time for Christmas dinner. <laughs> Um, No, I might need to be back before then or even after Christmas because there's probably going to be a part two. There's no way I could fit this message into one, but I'm smiling now, but it's a warning smile. So if you feel like, nah, I'm not ready for the valley, there's the door. We'll pretend we never saw each other, Um, but for those brave enough to stay, we'll get into it. So I think that when I thought about wilderness, I thought that, well, there's actually different types of wildernesses we can find ourselves in. You know, we can be in that wilderness of deliberately running from the Lord and what he's calling us to do. That's where Jonah found himself. He found himself in a big predicament because he was running away. But that's not the type of wilderness I want to talk about. I want to talk about the wilderness of suffering and testing. Suffering and testing. And so when we look at the, the word test in the Hebrew, it actually means to try And it means to prove. And so, no, he's not setting you up for failure. He's actually setting you up to prove your faithfulness and to prove your love for him during the midst of this season. And so his test is actually designed to make us more resolute. It's designed to move us also into a higher spiritual authority. He's like testing you so that you can get to that next level, so you can get to that next step in the plan he has for you. But yes, it is an intense season of pruning and refining. We know our Father's the gardener, we're the branches, we have Holy Spirit in us, so we know we're going to be undergoing some sort of testing every day or prune, you know refining every day. But this particular season is definitely more intense because you're breaking off big branches. You're not doing just the little tweaks during this time. But my first question when I was in it is, how do I know I'm in it? how do I actually identify that's the season I'm in and not just the enemy completely wreaking havoc? Because there's a bit of difference when the, when the Lord's orchestrating this season. And so I thought I'd lay out some biblical examples to identify some patterns that we could see. So the first one I have is Abraham. You think of Abraham, he was comfortable in Ur, he was wealthy, he was established, he was, you know, um, everyone knew him. And then at age 75, God calls him out, literally into the wilderness and also with a promise that he would have a hold, hold a son at some stage. But he went into a wilderness of waiting. <laughs> you know, it was 25 years, or I've got here 9,125 days. Yeah, that, Does that make it easier to stomach? Um not there's yeah, a wilderness of waiting for him. Second one I've got is Joseph. We know the dream that was given to him um, of his family bowing down, but then he gets thrown in a pit, then he's in slavery, then he's in jail, and then it takes approximately 15 to 20 years to then, you know, have that dream fulfilled and have the restoration of his family. The third one is the one we all know about: Moses in the wilderness and the children of Israel. They're given that beautiful promise of a land of milk and honey. But then they go on this what was supposed to be an 11-day journey and end up 40 years in the wilderness. And I think we, we hear this one so much we can miss the real significance of it that you know they prolonged their own wilderness. They prolonged it. And not only that, the original generation didn't get to inherit the promise. Their children did, and Joshua and Caleb did, but they didn't get to inherit it. That's a really important thing we've got to take note, that we can actually stop our promised land from happening. Fourth one is David. David was anointed by Samuel between the age of 10 and 15. And that was to be future service as king. And then David finds himself on the run. Many more times than I think he even thought he would be. You know, getting chased by Saul. He was hiding in caves, having spears thrown at him, getting chased by armies. And then um, he doesn't become king until he's 30 years old. So again, we have another long wait for that promise to be fulfilled. If we go into the New Testament, we've got John the Baptist. He literally lived in the wilderness for years in preparation for his ministry of Jesus coming in. Sixth person I've got is Paul. He had this powerful encounter with the Lord. He literally came to salvation through it. And then he says in the scripture in Galatians that he went to Arabia for three years. We don't hear much about what happened there, but we do know that that um, Paul says I didn't learn what I know from any disciples I learned it from the Lord himself during this time in Arabia and that place is desolate that place is literally desert wilderness dry sparse place that he was and so yes he was separated as well but he also had great revelation at time in that wilderness to then go out and propel him into the ministry that God called him to And the seventh one is, of course, Jesus. I can't go off without talking about Jesus. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the enemy. And interesting to note is Jesus went in filled with the Spirit and walked out in the power of the Spirit. And so I think we can establish wilderness is important, if not vital part of your journey. We actually should be saying, great, (laughs) this is happening, because you're going to walk out in the power of the spirit and so what links then can we make between these stories the first thing i noted was these people all said yes to god's plan and there were many more wildernesses i could have talked about but all of them had said yes and then god has given them a promise or a calling and then it appears all of them are going in the opposite direction of god's promise it doesn't look like they're going to get there and so the second point is then there's a lack. You know, when you're in a dry season, you can feel spiritually and physically even like you're regressing, like you're taking a step back. You could feel physically weak. You could feel like there's just a lack of power. You might feel like your prayers are not getting immediately answered, but that's a lie because they're actually becoming a storehouse, which i will talk about a bit later. And it almost feels like you're constantly waiting for something to just move and shift. And it really is the word of the Lord that sustains you through this season. The third thing I've noticed is that all of these men had a separation. Now, all of them were a physical move, but you could also feel like you're just being separated from your usual social circle. You could feel like you've come into a place of intense loneliness or stripping of maybe what was comfortable, what, you know, what, what felt like your safe place has just been pulled out from under you. The fourth thing of note is that flesh will start raising its ugly head around you. You You'll have people literally tell you, Did God really say that? You know, did He really promise that? There could be persecution that comes against you. You might have mean voices at you during this season. So that fifth point is there's going to be opposition along the way. And it's a hard place because you're wondering, God, why are we allowing why are you allowing these things to happen? You know, this intense hardship. There's a trial happening, maybe it's a death, maybe it's you have been betrayed by someone. But it's actually being permitted by the Lord during this season. The sixth thing is each wilderness that I noted was completely different. You know, we can't go and compare our wilderness to someone else. We can't say they had it easier or they had it harder or anything because the Lord specifically had a, a time frame, a location and a purpose for each heart. And he's doing the same in you. You're an individual. He's going to target you at your heart level because there's a purpose behind it that's going to equip you purposefully for that next season. So don't forget that you're meant to pass through the wilderness. Yeah, we're not meant to get stuck there, it's meant to be temporary. And so that seventh thing then is it is a trial of faith. In this time, you might feel like your very hope, your very faith is being tested. I'm sure David did. I'm sure Joseph did. I'm sure he was pondering that dream constantly as he was in that jail. But really, it's an invitation from the Lord to say, are you going to focus on feeling? Are you going to look at the people around you and what they might be saying or the circumstance or the enemy? No, this is an invitation for us to put our faith in the word of the Lord that doesn't fail to get to that triumph that Bretton was speaking about on the other side and so i'm not sure if that resonated maybe that's a past season you've been in maybe that's a season you're in right now maybe you know someone going through it at the moment i know all of this certainly resonates for me but i'm not going to be the focus of today i want to look at someone else's wilderness season that the lord constantly brought me back to when i was going through that rough time and I think this story offers important lessons of how we can get through it well, yeah? Because that's what we want. We want to get through that season well, and we want to pass the test of faith. And so where many might want to breeze over its pages, we're going to head first, head first into the book of Job. <laughs> I picked this book because it's, it's raw, it's real, it covers many common trials that we face in the wilderness of suffering. But I hope that most of all, we can learn how to navigate this season well and see that God is good, as Wendy said, God is good, and that we can come out, as it says in the songs, who is this leaning on her beloved coming up out of the wilderness? You know, we want to be leaning on our beloved. But let's get started. If you want to look at your phones, you can on the book of Job. Um, Hopefully you've all read a bit of it. I'm only going to breeze around on uh, introducing who Job is, but... Job was wealthy. He was a man from the east. Um, it's described as being, as being blameless, as upright, a man who feared God and shunned evil.
1: If you read a bit later on
0: in this book, um, we have Job defending his righteousness. You know, he was saying, I'm the kind of man that would assist the poor in need. I help those without hope. You know, I cause the widow's hearts to sing for joy, he says. And he even makes the point that he never once looked at a woman with lust because he knew what an abomination that was to the Lord. And he had one wife. And so I think this proves his character. You know, Job was a man of outstanding character and dedication to the Lord. If it comes to his family life, he had ten sons and daughters. He was the kind of man that said, you know, if they go feasting in their houses... I don't even want them to speak a word against the Lord in their heart, let alone even them saying something. So I'm going to um, sacrifice an animal for each and every one of my my children so that their, their sins are covered. And so that's what I'm saying. This is the kind of man Job is. And so Satan then presents to God after roaming to and from the earth. And I find this so interesting because it says in the scripture, the Lord asks, the Lord asks not Satan Satan doesn't go can I get to Job the Lord actually says have you considered my servant Job like the Lord offers him up here. he compliments Job and he says there's none like him on the face of the earth he's blameless upright fears God and shuns evil and when the Lord brought me to this story I said Lord I'm nothing like Job when I've read about his things and he said yes you are you are like Job And I went, what do you mean? And he goes, I see you this way. And he sees each and every one of you like Job because you've taken on the righteousness of Christ. Yeah? So you are like Job. You are righteous and holy and blameless. And then Satan says, all right, well, does Job fear God for nothing? You know, Satan says, you've made a hedge around him. You've put a hedge around his household and everything that he has. You've literally blessed the work of his hands and all of his possessions. But now if you stretch your hands out and if you touch all that he has, he will surely curse you to his face, to your face. And what I see here is Satan thinks he knows man. It makes me a bit angry, but I'm probably thinking, you know, he's probably seen it enough. He's seen, yep, man will follow you when they're comfortable. Man will follow you when things are going well, when they have everything that they need, when they're getting affirmed from the people around them. But the moment you take that hedge of protection away, they'll curse you to your face. This is what Satan's thinking. And I love the confidence of the Lord. He just goes, behold, all he has is in your hands, but don't lay a hand on his actual physical person. And I thought, let's look at this for a second. Look at what happens when the Lord removes his hand. Remember, he didn't do this to Job. He just removed his hedge of protection. And this is a lesson for us. If we have all of our children, if we, if we have blessings coming in our life, it means you have a hedge of protection around you. It means the Lord is with you. It means he's there. But look how ruthless the enemy is if the Lord fully took that hand of, 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 of protection away. Because what happens is Satan kills Job's servants, his workers, all his flocks, all his sheep, every single camel, and all ten of his children in one day. That is how ruthless the enemy could be. The man lost his business, he lost his wealth, he lost his future security, he lost everything he knew, he lost his source of joy, he lost all his ten children. And I'm guessing his friends, I'm sure a lot of those people that he lost were his friends in one day. And I thought, Lord, this is this is suffering and testing. What do we learn from this? And so I've got a few things that I want to share. So the first thing I thought was, in the season of suffering, it is entirely appropriate and necessary to grieve. That's the first thing I see here. It is actually healthy to mourn loss, whatever loss that might be for yourself. It could have been financial, it could have been a house, could have been a business, could have been an illness, could have been a person, maybe just a relationship breakdown. You know, there's grief in this place that needs a place to go. And I think a marker for this season is the Lord will give you the gift of tears. It might not seem like a gift, but it truly is. You know, Jesus in Isaiah 53 says, I'm a man of sorrow. I'm acquainted with grief. He truly understands the depth of sorrow of a human heart. Jesus wept. He knew Lazarus was going to be resurrected. And yet in that moment, he could fully understand the pain that those, that family was going through. But there's meant to be a divine exchange, as it says in Isaiah 61. He says, but but hold on to me because I have the oil of joy for mourning. I have the beauty for your ashes. I have a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And so what I see here is in this season, we are actually meant to release to the Lord all of these emotions and this grief and this pain so that we can then inherit the fullness of the freedom that he's paid for. Yeah, It's a vital lesson in relationship that he wants to bring you into, into a deeper level at this time. And we see that with David. All that sorrow, all that frustration, he said, Lord, here you have it in the Psalms constantly. I know you. I know you. This is too big for me. You've got to have it. You need to take this because you're the only one who can fix it. And the story of Job offers us this too, that there is a healthy and there is an unhealthy way to grieve. Because Job at first, he tears his robe, he shaves his head. And this is amazing when I read this the first time. And he worshipped the Lord at that moment Then he lost 10 children. Yes, he grieved, but and he worshipped the Lord. Both can be done at the same time. And we know this was pleasing to God because then Satan presents again to the Lord. And the Lord again asks, have you considered my servant, Job? None like him on the face of the earth, blameless, upright, fears God, shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity. The word integrity is his moral, it's it's his compass of right and wrong. And although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause, which means the Lord saying this was done in vain, this was done for nothing, this was done against Job undeservedly. And so even the Lord makes the point that this isn't punishment for Job. And Satan replies, all right, Skin for skin then. Yes, that man will give all he has for his life. So stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord again says, Behold all he has, but don't take his life. So he was allowed to afflict him in any way, shape or form, but not to take his life. And so Satan goes and strikes Job with painful boils from the bottom of his feet to the crown of his head. It was awful. And if you read a little bit later... Job tells us more of what suffering he actually went through. He went through sores, shedding of bleached skin, fever, chills, itching, swollen limbs. Eventually, he had ulcers that bred maggots on his skin. He had corroding bones, feelings of panic, depression, terrifying nightmares, and insomnia. Like an insufferable time this man went through. Like, I don't know, men, if you can imagine it, it's even worse than the man flu. Like, way worse. I know that's hard to believe. But after the boils, his wife turns to him. You know, he's going through this insufferable time, and his wife says, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. From his wife. I mean, we see why Satan left her, yeah? Yeah. Like, (laughs) no, there's actually what I want to bring us into. There's a second thing we can learn from the wife. We can actually recognise in her that there's an unhealthy way to grieve. You see, what she's come to is she's angry. She's got bitter. She's got frustrated. She's having unforgiveness towards her husband thinking it's him. She's holding emotions inside of her and she's left them to fester within her. And it will result in a hardened heart like this woman. You know, the words she speaks, though, don't they sound very familiar? Where did we just hear curse God and die? We heard it from Satan. Satan says that's what Job would do. So whose ear is he in? He's in the wife's ear right now and saying, whispering, Oh, it's Job's fault. Whispering, curse God, it's his fault. You know, she's she's listening to the wrong voice during this season. Now be aware that she's hurting too. I mean, she's also lost ten children. She's also lost everything that she knew to be stable and financially in her house. But we have two very different reactions between the husband and the wife. And so what I felt when sitting with the Lord that He wanted to share was with us is that there can be a residue response that if you've been in a season previously and this is bringing up emotions for you maybe a person or something you went through if there's any painful emotions this is bringing that's a residue response from that time and it's actually an invitation from the lord to say i want to heal that i really felt that on the lord he wants to break off some heavy yokes and that will need require us to sit with him and give it back to him because he wants to shed new light on that experience for you. The third point I want to say is that there will be harsh voices we face in the wilderness that are going to be contrary to God's. And if you read a little bit later in Job, his friends come into the picture and they are just hitting Job over and over again with condemnation and shame and saying, This is punishment, you know, this is a deep sin that you're not admitting to. And Job's just like, I have i have no sin that I feel is, is worthy of this kind of suffering and testing. And I so resonate with Job. I know in June 2021, God gave me two promises. He said that I would hold another son, and he'd also give me an inheritance. He led me to Deuteronomy 11, and he said I'd be crossing over to a land of hills and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. And I thought, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Um, But I knew, I didn't even think of it being an actual move at that time. I had a good job at a school I loved. I was good at that job. I could see myself at that school for the rest of my life. I had a new home. I had a great church that I was going to. It was comfortable. Things were comfortable. Weren't perfect, but things were comfortable. And then the end of August, Brett comes home and he says, we're moving to South Australia and that's it. <laughs> and I realised when I got here, oh no, the Lord really meant what he said. I was moving to a land of hills and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. So he gave me three months' notice. <laughs> My eviction notice. Um, and so he's been true to his word and it also has, has held a spiritual significance for me of hills and valleys, highs and lows. Because over the last two years... I have also lost five sons to heaven's side, so he has been true to his word. Oh, I didn't think I'd cry that bit. Anyway, um, three of which I was able to hold in my hands. You know, which is another. Oh, sorry. Which is another reason I so resonate with Job. I relate to the grief. Sorry. I relate to the the comments he's had thrown at him. Um. You know, Satan can be so awful the way that he can be in your ear saying that, you know, God isn't good because you didn't get what you wanted. Sorry. But I think, I think this wilderness season that there's such a lesson for us that go through a hard time that there needs to be forgiveness for those people who do say the wrong thing. I don't think we mean it as Christians. We do really try to do our best and say the right thing. But there's sometimes there are insensitive comments and things that can be said to you. But there needs to be forgiveness. And there also needs to be great discernment. And I think that's a gift the Lord's given me during these couple of years. You know, Jesus had to have that discernment in his wilderness. He had to pinpoint when Satan was telling a lie, and he had to discern it with the word. Yeah, and that's what I've had to do in this this season is go no you are right Lord you will give me this promise and it will be in your time and I think um, it's it's an opportunity for us to also minister to people who are going through their wilderness season and that's what it's been for me I know that there were three ladies in particular when I'd lost one of my children they just wrapped their arms around me best hug I've ever had and they just petitioned the Lord. They just believed the promise he'd given me. And they just petitioned him and they interceded for me and they stood in the gap. Not with their own words or opinions or their feelings, which I think we can sometimes do. And one of those prophetic words was triumph. Which is probably why I'm crying a little bit today. Because that's the word the Lord gave me. that I would have triumph at the end of it. <sighs> And so the fourth thing I think this wilderness season offers us is it will uncover, you know, hidden agendas in our heart and any pride that's hiding there, and he'll replace that with humility. And so um, the wilderness season is a real opportunity to show God you're ready for the promise by how well you handle the blow. Might not look like I'm handling it very well. <laughs> I promise I haven't cried in a long time. <laughs> um, but you know, God wanted a, a man after His own heart, and David showed such extreme humility for God's anointed vessel. You know, I think about Saul's story of, of chasing after David, and David's literally in that cave with his potential murderer in front of him, and instead of David hurting that person. He just tears a, a slit off the robe, and he even felt bad about that. He's <laughs> like, "I shouldn't have even touched the Lord's anointed." He had such a, a reverence for for God's spirit, for God's anointing. And so, God needed to be sure that David was going to be ready to be king; that he was going to be dependent. On him for everything, even for his own life and his own welfare, and not go running ahead and trying to do things in his own strength, which I think we can sometimes do in the wilderness, just trying to fix it. You know, and Job himself, he experienced a humbling too. You know, you read his responses to his friends. He was so adamant during that season. He's like, No, I'm good and I'm perfect. There's no sin worthy of this suffering. And the Lord should not have put me through this trial. But the problem was Job knew he was righteous and that almost made him terribly self-righteous. There was still an element of pride hiding in his heart. It was the sin he couldn't see. And so the fact he gave himself credit for those righteous deeds and not to God was evidence that God had to do something about that. God had to get that out of him. And, you know, God's prolific speech in return, it's just staggering. God revealed so much about himself in that speech back to Job he says, Job, yes, you may have built this amazing earthly empire. You may have helped the widows and helped the poor, but I've built the universe. <laughs> he was lifting Job's eyes up. He didn't even mention his suffering he was going through. It may have seemed insensitive, but it was actually loving. God was saying, I need to, you to pull your eyes above this. I need you to come and see from my perspective, from my Um, unlimited knowledge and understanding and wisdom that I hold everything together and everything operates by my hand. Come and look up here and then you won't see this in the same way anymore. And Job's response is exactly what God's looking for. He just humbled himself in, in dust and ashes and said, who am I to subvert knowledge without wisdom? and Job means two things his name means the persecuted in the Hebrew and it also means he who returns he who's repentant and that's exactly what he does for us in these seasons God in this season is removing pride in hiding so we can fully return to him yeah that's what he's doing it's not the executioner's whip it might feel like it but it's it's the surgeon's scalpel he's very carefully removing the disease of pride Within us, And it's the most loving thing he can do. And I'm so thankful that he did that for me. You know, what he wants to do is instill this healthy balance that yes, we can pursue good deeds, but our good deeds will not save us. We pursue them because he's good and because we want to overflow his goodness and his mercy. And so there's another side to this pride that I also discovered. Thank you, Lord. It's when someone has what you don't. It's when God gives to someone else what you have been promised. How do we react to that? It's a really hard lesson. Do we bless the person? Do we celebrate the success? Do we say, yes, your joy is my joy. It's the body's joy. It's the body's blessing because you've got a house, because you've got a baby, because you just got married. Do we praise and pray when other people are blessed and prospering and we've got the arrows coming at us from the enemy? And I had this, it was the last loss in February of this year and I was at BSF, I'd taken a couple of weeks off and I thought alright time to go back and when I came back I knew I'd be coming into a women's ministry with children and things like that but as I was sitting in the group there were two pregnant ladies and lots of kids around me and one of the ladies was about to go on maternity leave so she wasn't going to be back for a while. And right at the end of our study, the Lord said, I want you to go and pray for that woman. And I'm like, Lord, I'm grieving. (laughs) Like, I'm so sad. What do I possibly have to offer to that woman? And he said, I want you to pray for that woman the way you would pray for your own baby. And I said, okay, Lord. So I prayed for that lady and I felt the spirit move on her and she came back later and she said her baby had had sepsis the first week that baby came out and I'm not saying I'm the reason that that baby lived but the doctors did say that they were shocked at how quickly that baby was able to come back out of the hospital and um, I'm just so thankful to the Lord that I could have joy in that moment and, and pray for that woman And he's done that four times. I've prayed for four pregnant women over the last six months. (laughs) Isn't he good, though? Isn't he good? You know, because God still needs to get the glory, no matter the circumstances we are in. And, you know, what he showed me, too, is that you really have to do this journey in his strength. You really do. You know, in February as well, I think I was speaking here, about um, the body, soul, mind. And that morning, I woke up debilitated. It was the worst probably miscarriage I've had and I was so sick. I was, I was really not well. And I said, Lord, I know this message is important and it's for someone here. You are going to have to get me out of this bed and you're going to have to do this. And I haven't listened to that message, but I hope it touched somebody. <laughs> um, that's what I'm saying. His strength will carry us through this season to produce good fruit. You can still produce good fruit during this really rough time because it's a cooperation with the Spirit and it will break you out of, out of pride. It will break you out of false identity. It will break you out of stubbornness, I can tell you that. But wilderness, I think, is that preparation to step into a new season with humility and a greater dependence on God. That's, that's the crux of this. That's what, he, that's what he wants. He wants you to depend on him, to carry you through in his timing and in his way. And so I'll finish there. But as I said, there's so much more to this season that I could say. And there is a victory. There is a triumph at the end of it. But don't forget that we are building something very special in the wilderness that you will never learn anywhere else. So lean into it. Don't push him away. Let it be something that draws you in to his humility, to his being dependent on him and being in relationship with him. You know, the wilderness, he gave it to me like this, Alicia, you're like a caterpillar going into the cocoon. We might not truly understand what happens in that place. How it's going to pan out, what colors or shapes are going to come out on the other side. But God sees what's hidden in that dark place. He sees the pain. He sees growth. He sees He's the one doing the growth, the growth pains. You know, He changes us. And I listened to a lady who was also going through a really rough season and she said, Lord, I feel like I'm dying. And I'm like, yeah, I felt like that too. And the Lord replied to her and just said, No, you're thriving. I was like, how can you see it like that, Lord? You see us as thriving in this season. And it's because he's, you are becoming exactly who he's called you to be during this time. And it's if you let him do the work in you. And so, yes, it's painful. Oh, my goodness, you can see it's painful. But he's right there in the cocoon with you. Like that potter and clay. He might have to squish you down right back to the beginning. But he's going to make a beautiful vessel on the other side of it. You're going to come out. Thriving, You're going to come out beautiful. You're going to come out different. You're going to come out transformed. That's what he's looking for. To the promised land. So I'm going to finish in prayer now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you love your people into wholeness, for the way that you target each person exactly how you know that they need to grow, even if it is in this time of testing and wilderness but, Lord, I just pray for anyone going through a tough time, Lord, knowing that you are with them, that you will carry them through. May they just lean into you for dependence. May they lean into you in great humility, knowing that you're the one who's going to pull them out of that pit. You're the one who's going to elevate them in the spirit. You're the one who's going to propel them and surround them with people who that, that, that story is going to touch that next person's life. And I thank you, Lord, that you are with us through it all. In Jesus' name, amen. I did warn you.